Let's go ahead and open with a word of prayer. We'll get into the word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you, Lord. We ask now as we go to your word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher, that man would decrease, your spirit would increase, that you would be glorified. Lord, we know that this is a chapter that has, is as prophetic as any chapter in the entire Bible. And Lord, we ask again that we'd be able to leave here with understanding of what it all means. Lord, we ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. amen. So since it's been a little while since we were in Daniel, so if you're new to Calvary Chapel, we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book through the whole counsel of God. And we started in Matthew on Sunday mornings, we went all the way through Revelation, and we started on, in Genesis on Thursday nights. I encourage you to come on Thursday nights. We do meet inside. It's nice and warm and, uh, on Thursday nights. And we'd love you to come. We're in Ezra. But when we finished Revelation, I felt led to go to Daniel because Daniel has a lot of prophecy. Now, the first six chapters of Daniel are historical. And it's the life of a young man by the name of Daniel who was taken captive and carried away by King Nebuchadnezzar. And he purposed in his heart not to defile himself. He was used mildly by the Lord he stood for God at 13. The only reason we, we hear about him in the lion's den in his 80s is because he was faithful as a teenager. And then we, we saw King Nebuchadnezzar, and we saw the fiery furnace. Uh, last time in chapter 6, we saw Daniel in the lion's den, and we saw that it's better to be in the lion's den with the Lord than out of the lion's den without him. Amen? Now as we come to chapter 7, the whole book changes. So we saw prophecy in chapter 2 when Daniel interpreted King Nebuchadnezzar's dream. King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream of this metallic image, and each of the metals would change. And we saw the interpretation that it was speaking of future kingdoms. So Daniel was the one who interpreted it. Nebuchadnezzar said he couldn't remember his dream, and if someone didn't remember it and interpret it, he was going to kill all his wise men. And he started killing all his wise men. God gave him the answer after he prayed with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They went before the king. They gave him the, the interpretation. So now this is Daniel having a dream. And now Daniel's going to have this dream, and he's going to get interpretation from an angel. So we know that the interpretation is correct. And so there's so much for us to learn. I want to say this. Please don't take me wrong. I have people I know that all they do is study prophecy. That's it. And again, should we study prophecy? What's the answer? Yes. Absolutely. But should we only study prophecy? What's the answer? Because here's the reality. What should prophecy do? We're going to see prophecy of what has been fulfilled and one that's coming. We're going to see kingdoms rise and fall. And we're going to see there's one more kingdom coming, and it's the kingdom of the Antichrist. Now, why do we want to understand prophecy? Because we want to know prophecy is foretelling and foretelling. It's either proclaiming of the truth, or it is, un it is the vision or word of knowledge that comes from God about the truth. And so we're going to see that in the prophecy in this chapter, in this chapter three of them, or actually four of them have all taken place, but there's one more future event that is about to take place. So yes, we want to understand prophecy because God has been faithful to, to thousands of prophecies in the Old Testament and the New Testament. So we know that the prophecies that have not been fulfilled are going to be fulfilled because he's always been faithful to every prophecy. Amen. So what prophecy should do, it should stir us up, it should make us heavenly minded, and it should give us a burden to reach the lost with the gospel. Amen? 
We don't study prophecy so we can argue with each other about where we stand prophetically because here's the reality. One of us is wrong and it won't matter in heaven anyway. Can I get an amen to that? So we should teach prophecy, understand prophecy. We should allow prophecy to stir us up, to take our eyes off the things of the world and set our eyes on things above. But I meet people all the time that all they want to do is talk to me about prophecy. For I'm like, bro, okay, great. Now let's go witness to somebody. Can I get an amen to that? Let's go out and share our faith. Let's go talk to people about Jesus instead of having an intramural scrimmage between post and pre-trib. And about what? Stop. But we're going to see tonight tonight, this morning, as long as you stay late, this morning, we're going to see that Daniel's dream, and just quickly, the differences, and then we'll get into the text. In Daniel 2, it was a multi-metallic image, outwardly beautiful. It spoke of the glory of each kingdom. And we're going to see the same four kingdoms are broken down now in Daniel's dream. But in Daniel's dream, it's not this beautiful statue made of gold and silver and bronze and iron. Now it's going to be four beasts. And what, while the metallic image speaks of the splendor of the kingdoms, the uh, four beasts speak of the true inward nature and character of each of these kingdoms. And we'll see it, but I'm just going to give it to you quickly. So in the metallic image, it was a head of gold. We're going to see in chapter 7 this morning, it's a lion. And that's talking about Babylon. And that's where he was living at the time. Daniel is prophetically talking about where he's living at that moment, at that time. And then we're going to see after Babylon, it's arms of silver in chapter 2. It's going to be characterized as a bear. And again, it is, a, it is amazing that a lot of kingdoms are still tied to animals. Like well, Even in America, what, who knows what our, our, what's our national animal? Or bald eagle, American eagle, right? The bald eagle, right? And so that's tied to our country. In Babylon, it was a lion, and we're going to see with the Medo-Persians, it's a bear. Then we're going to see the sides of brass, it was in chapter 2, is a leopard. And that's speaking of the Greek and uh, Macedonia. And that's Alexander the Great. And we're going to see that this leopard has wings and it moves quickly. And that's what he was known for. Now, keep in mind, this is prophesied hundreds of years before Alexander the Great. And yet, it's going to be Alexander the Great to a T. The fourth kingdom is... is uh, legs of iron and feet of iron and clay. And we're going to see that this is a multiple kind of a beast in chapter seven. And it speaks of the Roman empire. How many of you knew the Roman empire lasted for a thousand years? A thousand years. And we're going to see that we're going to see just the application for that and that the Roman empire to some degree is not done yet. So moving from an historical account of Daniel's life in Babylon to a record of prophecies concerning the future. And guys, here's the good news. If you have your outline, grab it. When it appears that the enemy is winning, know that God is in control. Amen? Is our world in a little chaos right now? What's the answer? With everything that's going on in Israel, with everything that's going on with social agendas, and we're, our, our, you know, again, Every generation thinks this, but it seems like we're getting further away from the Lord than our country's ever been in its history. And as we get further away from the Lord, we can get discouraged sometimes. But here's the good news. God is in control, and God is faithful, and God will not be mocked. And God has seen this. He knew it was coming, and we should not be fearful in the midst of it, because in the end, God wins. Amen? So, number, so as we are living in a time of chaos, as we've got... We got college students marching through streets singing, you know, saying Ali Akbar, right? And death to America while they live in our country. 
And we've got people that want, are, it's anti-Semitic, it's all get out. Those are God's chosen people. We shouldn't be surprised. And by the way, I may offend somebody. I'm as pro-Israel as anybody on this planet because our God is pro-Israel. Can I get an amen to that? And that means God says he will bless those who bless Israel and curse those who curse Israel. Amen? We, can't, we don't have to be happy about all the details, but that's the truth. So as believers in the midst of chaos, here's the things we should be thinking of. First of all, we have nothing to fear. We have nothing to fear. As believers, we don't need to be afraid. When I see somebody who's constantly fearful, I'm concerned about where they are with the Lord. Amen? I'm not saying we don't have moments of fear. I get that. And that's a natural reaction. If a lion ran in here, we should all be afraid. Can I get an amen to that? We'd all be running, right? Fear can trigger us to do the right thing. But if you're living in fear and you walk around in fear and you feel defeated all the time, it's because you've lost sight of who's truly in control. See, God is not surprised by fierce kings or ungodly kingdoms. And while the prideful behavior and sinful idolatry may strike fear and righteous anger into the hearts of the Lord's people, we need not fear because God is in control. He knew it all from eternity past. And again, in the end, he wins. So we have nothing to fear. Number two, no one will escape the righteous judgment of God. Now, do we desire to see people go to hell? What's the answer? Absolutely not. Our entire calling as believers is to know him and to make him known. Amen? It's to love God and to love people. And now, if somebody is drowning and they don't want your help, you still need to try to help them anyway. Amen? They may even hit you to get you to leave them alone. They may not want anything you have to say. Now, some people, right, we're going to share our faith and are going to want nothing to do with it. We should continue to pray for them, pray for divine appointments, opportunities to share the hope that lies within us. But we need to recognize every day, every person we meet is a divine appointment and an opportunity for the gospel. Amen? And we need to recognize that. We're so busy with life, we miss out on it. So no one will escape the righteous judgment of God. Here's some descriptions of God. Uh, God the Father here in chapter verse 9 and 10. He's the ancient of days, which means the eternal God. Hair like pure wool, which is, speaks of his infinite wisdom. A white garment, his holiness and righteousness. His throne like a fiery, fiery flame. Fire in the Bible often speaks of judgment. And its wheels with burning fire speaks of the unending energy and power of our God. So point number two there, no one will escape the righteous judgment of God. Point number three, pride goes before destruction. The, we may have thought we've met the most arrogant person who's ever lived. We haven't. It's going to be the Antichrist. He's going to make everybody else, he's going to make Donald Trump look, Trump look humble, okay? This guy is going to be so arrogant. He's going to speak pious words. He's going to speak directly against Almighty God. He's going to mock God. He's going to be charismatic. The text even says, He's going to be more handsome than anyone else. So he's going, to be, he's going to have everything that they want in a politician. He's charismatic. He's a good speaker. He's good looking. And he can draw a crowd. That's who the Antichrist is going to be. And he's going to draw them right into destruction. Because once they take the mark of the beast, it's over for them. Amen? But guess what? He's going to be a prideful man, an arrogant man, but he's also going to be a doomed man. The Antichrist will be destroyed. His kingdom will be crushed because he's a man of pride and because he mocks God. Point number four, Jesus is coming back. Amen? And when he comes, 
The first time he came, he came riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, an animal of peace. When he comes back, he's going to be riding a white horse. We're all going to come with him. We're going to, he's going to wipe out the enemy that comes against him. We're going to rule and reign with him on the earth for a thousand years, seeing what the world would be like with Jesus Christ on the throne. Who's ready for that? Amen? Number five, worldly kings and kingdoms will rise and fall. All worldly power, positions, and authority are only temporary. The saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and reign forever. All these kingdoms, they come and go. If the Roman Empire can fall, the United States can fall. Amen? Any kingdom can fall. Nobody's above it. And you know what keeps kingdoms in place? It's not how mighty their army is. It's how submitted they are to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The reason we've been a great nation, we were founded on Christian principles. And we were a nation that put our trust and our faith and our hope in Almighty God. And as long as, and when we cease to do that, the kingdom may cease to exist, our nation. Number five, the Antichrist will speak arrogantly against Almighty God. There's few things that rile me up more than seeing people curse God. And I know it's righteous anger. But I also, every time I see it, I remember the Bible says the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. We need to pray for those people. We shouldn't be surprised when people who don't know God act like they don't know God. Amen? We shouldn't be surprised when dogs bark. That's what they do. People who don't know God mock God. They need to be saved. Amen? And then finally, in the end, God wins. Amen? So beginning there in verse 1 of Daniel chapter 7, again, a whole new part of the text as we're looking at future prophecy. It says there, in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions in his head while on his bed. Then he wrote down the dream telling the main facts. So he gives us first a timeline. Again, if you were here for Dan, if you were here the last six chapters, Belshazzar is chapter five. So Belshazzar became king. Remember, he's the one the writing's on the wall. Amen? Remember, he was worshiping the God of gold and silver, and he was using the things that were supposed to be used in the temple in worship of the Lord, and he was mocking God, and then we saw the hand came down and wrote on the wall. So it's in the days that Belshazzar was reigning. So the, between the end of chapter 4 and chapter 5, by this time, uh, Daniel is probably in his 50s, 40s or 50s. He's been there for a while, and this is when this dream comes. So chronologically, 1 through 6 goes to the end of Daniel's life. Now we're backtracking to talk about this prophecy that takes place in his dream. So he has a dream that parallels, as we've talked about, the dream of King Nebuchadnezzar, and we're going to see how it compares to that statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream about. The first dream and vision of the four described between chapters 7 and 12. So chapter 2, this vision of these kingdoms, is what chapter 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12 are going to touch on in more detail. Notice it says, in night vision, he wrote down the main facts. He's being empowered by the Holy Spirit. He wrote down the main facts of his dream. And now he needed to write them down because take a look at this. Daniel spoke saying, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. The great sea here is most likely, almost certainly, the Mediterranean Sea. So all these nations, they're going to be talked about in this future vision, the vision of the then current with Daniel and the kingdoms that would come, are all nations that touch the Mediterranean Sea. And he says, each, by the way, Israel's been there thousands of years. They're not poaching on anybody's land. Can I get an amen to that? 
So the great sea, again, each empire mentioned in Daniel's vision had a geographical connection with the Mediterranean Sea. And again, the word sea can also be a term for masses of people. But I truly believe it's physically of the sea. It says in Revelation 17, 15, the waters are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. So you could also be talking about the people within those nations. And it says the four winds of heaven. Some see the winds as the sovereign power of God, the rushing wind. Have you ever seen, you've noticed in the Bible that often you'll see, like in Acts chapter 2, a mighty rushing wind came in and, and there were tongues of fire upon them when they were given who? The Holy Spirit came upon them. And the Holy Spirit often is referred to as ruah or a rushing wind. It says this in Psalms 107, he commanded and raised the stormy wind which lifted up the waves of the sea. He spoke and the winds rose, stirring up the waves. With the word he called up the wind, an ocean storm, towering waves. He spoke and raised a tempest that stirred up the waves of the sea. And Isaiah 27 says, You contended with them by exile, by driving them away from Canaan. He expelled them with his fierce wind on the day of the east wind. So God can move men and move people, and God ultimately is the one who's in control. So the stirring up of the great sea has an idea of chaos and loud, confusing noise, especially one caused by a large mass of people. You know, I think people protest just to join the protest, and half the time they don't know what the heck they're protesting. Oh, you guys are protesting? Okay, I'm in, you know? And, you know, it's like, you know, cows for cheeseburgers. I mean, they're, they're, they're voting for stuff that's actually going to destroy them, right? They don't have any idea what they're standing for. And it's talking about this chaos that will take place. This wind whips up and people are just confused and there's chaos among them. As the nations rise and fall in the midst of what will appear to be chaos, we need to remember again that God is in control. Is God going to protect Israel? What's the answer? Absolutely. Absolutely. And they can protest all they want. Isn't it amazing? There's, I don't know how many nations for, uh, you know, quote, Palestinians, which there never was a Palestine. We have all these nations, and the only thing they want is that little stamp of land. But the Bible told us it would be that way. Amen? We should not be surprised. What is the main focal point of our entire world right now? Where is it? It's Israel. And Israel's the size of New Jersey. It's amazing. But the Bible has told us. Guys, when people tell me the Bible is just a bunch of made-up stuff, I always love to take them through and show them all the things it says about Israel. And what God... Israel is the only nation that ceased to be a nation, became a nation again, and was able to gather up the people that were in the ancestors to bring them back to that nation. And the Bible told us that in Matthew 24. Guys, God knows what he's doing. Amen? Amen. So when the next time you watch the news and you want to throw a rock at your TV, because it's the bad news, amen? When you watch it and you get frustrated, just remind yourself... God's not surprised. God's in control. We can trust him. Verse 3, and four great beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. So he's having this dream, and he sees these four large, ferocious animals emerging from the great sea, each one distinct from the other. And again, they're going to parallel Nebuchadnezzar's statue dream. Now notice as we take a look at these beasts, the first one was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I watched till its wings were plucked off and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man and a man's heart was given to it. And about everybody in the room just now said, what? 
The first beast is the Babylonian Empire where he was living at the moment. And the king was King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, lions and eagles are common in Babylonian artwork, even a winged lion. A lion with wings is, a natural, is actually the national symbol of Babylon. They uncovered the gates to the city, and guess what they had in front of the gates? Lions with wings. So does God know what he's talking about? So lions with wings are in the entrance of the artifacts of uh, Babylon. And lions speak of majesty and authority, and the two lions with wings guard their gates. In Jeremiah 4, 7, Jeremiah describes Nebuchadnezzar as a lion who has come out of his lair, a destroyer of nations has set out. So he's referred to as a lion himself. It was a winged lion would be ferocious and move even quicker than a regular lion. But notice its wings were plucked off. Now, Bible students, what do you think that might be pointing to? The wings of the lion were plucked off. What happened to King Nebuchadnezzar? He lost his mind, amen? He was stripped of his authority. He started mooing and eating grass from the ground, had hair-like feathers, his long fingernails. And when was he restored? What did he do? He looked up. He, went, he was like that for years. And then what happens? He looks up. He finally comes to the end of himself and God restores him. And I believe we're going to see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven. That's a gracious God. Can I get an amen to that? So he lost his kingdom, his sanity, became like a beast for seven years. He lifted up to stand and regained his kingdom, his sanity after looking up. Man's heart, again, it's a possible reference to his conversion. Because it says there, a man's heart was given to it. So this man, this man who was ruthless and heartless, Nebuchadnezzar would slaughter people just as look at him. He's the one that threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fiery furnace because they wouldn't bow to the statue that he made of himself. This was as godless a man as there was. And at the end, he has a heart of a man because God is able to take the hardest heart, a heart of stone, and turn it into a heart of flesh. Amen? No one is beyond salvation. No one is so good they don't need to be saved, and no one is so bad that they can't be saved. Amen? And think of those people in your life that you think are beyond saving. There was a guy named Saul of Tarsus. Was that dude kind of gnarly? It's hard-hearted, hunting down Christians, and God grabbed a hold of him, transformed his life. He had a head-on collision, got knocked off his high donkey on the road to Damascus, and he gave his life to the Lord, and he becomes the Apostle Paul, and God uses him to write most of the New Testament. Guys, our God can take someone who is far away from him and turn them into a new creation in Christ, and no one is beyond salvation, and praise God for that. Amen? That is the grace of God. And that's what he does here with King Nebuchadnezzar. He gives him the heart of a man from mooing like a cow until he finally looked up and recognized that God was greater than him. So the first beast is a lion, the second beast, and suddenly another beast, a second like a bear. It was raised up on one side, had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and thus and said thus to it, Arise, devour much flesh. Now we know, and we'll see this, we have the angel telling us what all this means. So I'm not making this stuff up, okay? So the next kingdom that came was the Medo-Persians. They were actually the ones that invaded while Belshazzar was having the drunken rager. 
And he, oh, they'll never get in here. And they had these huge walls. And he thought he was safe. And they cut off the water. And they walked into the aqueduct. And they wiped them all out. And Belshazzar was struck down dead that very day as he was mocking God. But the Medo-Persians, what's interesting about them, uh, bears in the Bible are always vicious. There's no teddy bears in the Bible. Amen. There's no Build-A-Bears in the Bible. When there's bears in the Bible, you see bears come down and eat the youth group. You, got, you know that, right? They're mocking the Elisha, go up bald head, go up bald head, and bears run down and eat the youth group. I used to teach that when I was a high school pastor. See, so if you make fun of the bald head of the pastor, you never know what's going to happen. Amen? But raise up on one side, because the Medo-Persian Empire was two empires coming together. And the Persian Empire, part of the empire, was greater than the Mede part. And the Persians dominated the Medes until they became a part of their empire. Three ribs in its mouth, it speaks of the nations they conquered. They conquered Lydia, Babylon, and Egypt. So a bear with three ribs in its mouth speaks of the the battles that it has won, the nations that it has conquered. And then it says there in verse 6, after this I looked and there was another like a leopard which had a on its back, four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. This is Alexander the Great. How many of you guys know about Alexander the Great? Do you know that Alexander the Great conquered the entire known world by the time he was in his 30s? And then he was grieved because there was no one else left to conquer. And he ends up dying in his 30s. His whole life was to destroy. He had a small army. Often, he would fight armies five, six, seven, eight times his size. And you know why they won? Because they moved quickly. And they were able to get to the positions they needed to be in and wipe out the enemy. Doesn't that sound like a leopard with wings? Are leopards fast by themselves? Throw, throw some wings on them. And how quickly are they moving? And so this is a picture of Alexander the Great. Now keep in mind, he writes this hundreds of years before Alexander the Great exists. The Bible rocks, Amen. And again, as he's writing this to them, and it's being compared to the, the, the metal, right? This, this is now the iron part of, of the metallic king. And so it has four heads. And what's interesting, when Alexander died, his empire was divided into four parts and given to four of his generals. So here's this kingdom, and it's four-headed, and then he dies, and the kingdom of Alexander the Great of the known world was split into four different kingdoms under four of his generals. Four heads, Alexander fell at age 32 to drunkenness and debauchery and was replaced by his four governors. His life was over when there was nothing left to conquer. So the three kingdoms were future prophecies that all came true with perfect accuracy. And we'll see that it's actually going to be interpreted later on in the chapter where the angel tells us what each of these things are. Verse 7, After this I saw in a night vision, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the other beasts before it, and it had ten horns. So the fourth beast is Rome, the Roman Empire that lasted for a thousand years. Rome was known for its cruelty. They were the ones that invented crucifixion, and they invented it to make it the most torturous, painful, shaming, embarrassing death that anybody could ever have happen to them. You are scourged, 
then you carry your own cross, you're put on the cross naked to shame you, and then you have nails put in your feet and in your hands. They usually put it right on the most busy thoroughfare, so as people are walking by, they're mocking you, and that's the Roman perspective on cruelty. They crucified Peter, they beheaded Paul, they burned Christians and butchered men, women, and children. They fed Christians to lions. Uh, Nero, one of their leaders, would take Christians, cover them in pitch, and set them on fire and use them as candles to light his garden when he rode his horse through his garden naked. Nothing wrong with that guy, right? Nero was a train wreck. It was Rome that crucified Again, ultimately, our Lord. Now, we know that what really put the Lord... Nobody could have crucified Jesus unless he, unless he wanted to let him happen, do it. Amen? Do you remember when they came to arrest him? They said, are you Jesus of Nazareth? And what did he say? I am. And what happened to all the soldiers? They all literally fell straight back on their backs. If a guy can just say, I am, and all the soldiers fall down, who arrested who? Can I get an amen to that? And the only reason that he went to the cross... It's because he knew that he had to so that you and I could be forgiven. It was not the nails that held him to the cross. It was his love for each and every one of us. Amen? The next time you feel like you're of no value, the next time the world's trying to tell you you're worthless, you remember that the value of something is determined by what someone's willing to pay. And what was paid for you was Almighty God sending His Son to suffer and die, endure the torment, suffering, and shame, to know separation from the Father so that all of our sins can be poured out upon Him, to suffer as if He lived your life so you could be rewarded as if He lived, as if you lived His. That's our God. Amen? And we should not be ashamed of that. We should shout it from the mountaintops. They were the most powerful kingdom, from the head of gold to clay toes, from a noble lion to a nondescript beast. The ten horns speak of power. Horns, uh, you know, you put a horn on an animal, that makes them a lot more hard to deal with. Amen? And horns speak of power. Now, ten horns speak of great power, but in the end, in, in the days, our days, it's going to speak of 10 kingdoms. So right now, and again, when the EU came out, you guys have heard of the European Union, right? And they had their own money, and it's still in turmoil, and it's changing all the time. But initially, it was made up of 10 nations that basically covered what was the old Roman Empire. And anybody who reads their Bible went, okay, we're getting close, amen? And so... It says there, among these 10 nations, as we're talking about the future, but here as he's talking about the strength of it, it had 10 horns. I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little one coming up from among them, before whom three of the first horns were plucked by its roots, and there in this horn were the eyes like the eyes of a man, and the mouth speaking pompous words. This is clearly the Antichrist. We're going to see later, in speaking of the Antichrist, we're going to say that he speaks pompous words. So this little horn, the Antichrist, will rise out of these, one, out of these 10 nations. So Pastor Dave's opinion, along with probably 95% of people who study the Bible, that the, that the Antichrist must come out of the old Roman Empire. You know, people get 666, and they'll, they, some people thought Ronald Reagan was the Antichrist, because his name is Ronald Wilson Reagan, and it's 666. And people go around looking for the Antichrist, and oh, what about the... Well, first of all, 
And people brought Barack Obama as the Antichrist, and people think different people are the Antichrist. First of all, we don't need to be looking for the Antichrist, we need to be looking for Christ. That's why when, you're, when we know that we'll be gone before the Antichrist rises up, we don't need to worry about him. And what did he tell the apostles when he ascended into heaven? What did the angels say? They're all looking up at Jesus, say, hey, look up. For, you know, saying, look, look up for your redemption draweth nigh. Keep looking for Jesus to come back. Our focus need not be on looking for the evil one who is coming, but look for the holy one who is coming to take us home. Amen? And that's where our focus ought to be. Three horns were replaced by one. The Antichrist will first gain control over three of the nations. This interpretation before eventually controlling them all. And he will be Satan's man. This is Satan's man. I don't believe he's just demonically impressed, uh, possessed, but he's literally possessed by Satan. A mouth speaking pompous words. The anti uh, he will be eloquent, an influential speaker, and he will influence many. This is why we don't follow men. We follow God, and we don't use what men say to be our source of salvation or our source of direction. It's only what the Word of God says. Amen? This is the only authority that matters. This is the final court of authority. Guys, if it was a sin in the Bible 2,000 years ago, it's a sin in America today. Amen? The Word of God does not change, and the Word of God is the source, and the Word of God is what we build our foundation and our faith upon. Amen? Men will fail you. Don't put your faith in men. Put your faith in Almighty God. So point number one, we have nothing to fear. These kingdoms are coming and going. There's a bunch of fierce beasts. That can be kind of scary, but here's the reality. No matter what, our God is still greater. Point number two, no one will escape the righteous judgment of God. It says, I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. Who's the Ancient of Days? It's God. It says, was seated. His garment was white like snow. His hair was a head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame. Its will was a burning fire. And again, we talked about the Ancient of Days, meaning he's always existed. Does that not give you a headache? People say, where was God? I got this text just the other day. Pastor Dave, I'm talking to this guy, and he wants to know who created God. And I wrote back, nobody. God alone is the creator. Amen? He is the creator. He, nothing created him. He always has been. And that gives us a headache because we're finite men trying to understand infinite God. Amen? You know what? He's outside of time and space. Tell me what's outside of time and space. Can you explain that to me? But he, so that means he's in a place where there's no space. What does that mean? And he's outside of time, which means he's always been. Where was he 10 billion years ago? He was there. Where was he? He was always there. That's our God. That's why I don't worship Muhammad. He was created. He died. He didn't raise from the dead, and he was a false prophet. It's why I don't put my faith in Joseph Smith or, or L. Ron Hubbard or Mary Baker Eddy, or any other false prophet that comes along. They're all dead. They created nothing. They, we can dig up their bones. Our God created all things. He always has been. He always will be. And he proved himself to be God by triumphing over sin and death when he rose from the grave. Guys, we serve a living and risen Savior, not a dead false prophet. Amen? Amen. That's who we serve. And we ought to be excited about that. Amen? The white garment speaks of his holiness. The hair like wool, again, is infinite wisdom. His throne of a fiery flame speaks of his judgment, and his wheels are like a burning fire. Notice what it says in verse 10. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. 
A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousands times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and all the books were opened. This is the vision that he's having. And what does he see? We know in Revelation, it talks about the people being around the throne. And we know from Revelation, it's the 24 elders. This is the Old Testament. Christians don't exist yet, just followers of Almighty God. And of course, Jesus would be the fulfillment of all their sacrifices. But what he sees is he sees this crowd in numbers he can't even comprehend. And by the way, heaven's not going to be quiet. Amen? When billions of people are worshiping, how sweet is that going to be? Amen? I went to Promise Keepers. That means I'm old. I went to Promise Keepers at the Coliseum with my dad, and there were 130,000 men there. And when they started worshiping, I don't know how anybody could not weep. That's powerful. Amen? Well, guess what? It's talking about thousands and tens of thousands and thousands and thousands. And notice that the court was seated and the books were opened. Now, what books are we talking about here? Again, the court is seated. This is a picture of judgment. When you come to court, there's a judge, and God will judge, and he has the right to judge. He is our creator. By the way, when people tell you, the Bible says, judge not lest she be judged, that's the only verse the atheists know. Right? And, I, and I, I tell them, you know, in the Bible also, I mean, in the verse I'll quote them, to misquote scripture is satanic. Can I get amen to that? Because you're t- take, are we called to judge sin? What's the answer? Now, are we called to love people? Are we called to minister to them? What's the answer? So you can love people. And also, I would hope, until we recognize we're a sinner, we'll see no need for a savior. So if you're afraid to call out what is sin and some, and don't be self-righteous and don't be arrogant, don't be a Pharisee, amen? But come to somebody and say, bro, this, your life's a mess and here's why. I've known you a little while, bro. You're sleeping around. You're struggling with drugs and alcohol. You, you know, your, your life's a disaster. You have no discipline in your life. You have no hope. Your, your life's a mess. You know why that is? Because you need Jesus, amen? Because no matter what the sin is that we struggle with, the only thing that's going to fill that God-shaped vacuum, it's not more money, it's not no more relationships, it's not, it's not a, bigger, a better position at work, it's not more stuff, it's not more fun, it's more Jesus, amen? amen. We need Him to rule and reign in our lives. Now, the, book, the Bible talks about many books. In Psalm 69, it talks about the book of the living. In Malachi 3.16, it talks about the book of remembrance. In Philippians, Revelation, it speaks of the book of life. And the king point is the great kingdoms and nations and their leaders will come and go, and in the end, they will be judged by God. So these ones who are arrogant and filled with themselves, these ones who think they'll never face any kind of a judgment, the ones who think they're invincible like Belshazzar as he's getting drunk, Uh, thinking that because he has such a great palace surrounding him that he's going to be safe. In the end, all will come to an end, and every person who has ever lived will be judged by God. And when you stand before him, the things you think are important will mean absolutely nothing. Do you know the Bible even says that our, our good works are as filthy rags? So we think, oh, I'm going to be okay with God because I helped at the soup kitchen. Well, helping at the soup kitchen is a good thing. Can I get an amen to that? It's a wonderful thing. It's good. The Bible says to feed the poor. The Bible says to minister to people. The Bible says that we should be loving. We should be the most generous people on the planet. But if you're standing before Almighty God one day, and you're standing before Him, and you're, well, I I helped in the soup kitchen, and I mowed my neighbor's lawn when he was sick, and uh, I I let people uh, merge on the freeway. 
I should be good. But the reality is, we're all sinners. And you can't have one sin in heaven or you have earth part two. How many sins did it take to bring destruction upon the earth? It was one. Before the sin, nobody died. Nothing died. Plants didn't die. Lions were laying down with lambs. There was nothing to fear. They walked in the cool of the day and talked to Almighty God. One sin brought separation. The word sin there is an archery term. It's a distance between perfection and where the arrow lands. We've all missed the mark. Whether we missed it by 10 feet or 10,000 miles, and I think for all of us, it's closer to 10,000 miles. We weren't even thrown in the right direction. Can I get amen to that? But sin has separated us, and that's why Jesus had to come to restore us unto himself. So in the end, the books will be opened. And again, this is not the great white throne judgment which comes at the end of a millennial reign, but it's a setting for the judgment of the great tribulation, which we see in Revelation 5, verses 11 through 14, and the return of Christ. Now, it says there, talks about there, a fiery stream issued. This is a river of fire. It's God's presence. How did God appear to Moses in what? A burning bush. And often fire represents the presence of God. In Psalm 97, it says, fire goes before him and consumes his foes on every side. Billions of angels bow down and worship before his throne. He alone. So the angels are all worshiping. They're all bowing before him. The heavenly host is singing praises to him. And then those who don't know him are brought before him. And the book is opened and the judgment takes place. And guys, there's no purgatory. There's no second chance. You're not going to have another opportunity to make things right with God. If, you know what? May today be the day of salvation if you don't know Jesus Christ. Amen? So the court is about to convene, the judge is seated, and written evidence is produced, and God's library of books will be brought out and reviewed. And though we don't know about all of God's books, we do know about some. The Bible says that God keeps a record of our sorrows. Did you know that? He knows your heartache and your sorrows. It says in Psalm 56, record my lament, list my tears on your scroll, are they not in your record? God keeps a book of those who fear him. It says in Malachi 3, a scroll of remembrance was written in the presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored him. God knows who his kids are. Amen? And we should know him. Christianity is not a hope so, it's a no so. His, li his library also contains the Old and New Testaments. In John 3, 18, it says, He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. In the book of Revelation, we see that God will judge the dead as they stand before him, and the book of life is opened. Jesus came not to, def to de defend you, but to pay not only to defend you, but to pay the price for you so that you could be redeemed and forgiven. Here in Daniel's dream, it is the nations who are being judged, and God will read their accounts of blasphemy and idolatry. You know, someone said, Billy Graham once said that if God doesn't wipe out San Francisco, that he owes Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. <laughs> but we are now taking an entire month to celebrate the very sins that God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah for. And again, and I think we apologize too much for it. But here's the reality. Adultery, fornication, you know, whatever your sin is, we, we all have sins, amen? And some of our sins are more obvious than others. And we like to pick on the obvious ones. But the reality is that lying is a sin. Pride is a sin, amen? 
Being angry, unless it's righteous anger, is sin. We don't want to be that person. So recognize that we're sinners. It should keep us humble, broken, and desperate, and thankful at all times. These nations, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome, will be brought before Almighty God and those who led them, and they will be found guilty. Point number three, pride goes before destruction. I watched them because of the sound of pompous words. Who's speaking the pompous words? Who is this? Antichrist. It says, because of the pompous words which the horn was speaking, I watched till the beast was slain and its body was destroyed and given to the burning flame. There's a thing right now where people are saying, and I, even people I respect to some level will say, well, hell isn't really fire. It's just separation from God. And I'm like, it is separation from God. That's the worst part about it. But there is fire because the Bible says there's fire. Amen? What does it say right there? Given to the what? The burning flame. Now, I don't rejoice in that. I'm not happy about that. But do I trust that God knows what he's doing? What's the answer? And he's a righteous God. Amen? And he desires that none should perish. Anybody who ends up in hell has to run over the cross of Christ to get there. They have to reject all the opportunities to be born again. All the, all, and I, you know, again, this is Pastor Dave's opinion. I'll stand over here. I truly believe that on Judgment Day, that when people are before, they're going to be on their face before him, I believe that he will show them all the opportunities they had to be saved. Oh, here's, here's when you came to church on December 31st. And you heard the word of God and you walked away without it. Amen? Because some will say, well, it's not fair. Or I didn't, uh, well, well, here's all the opportunities you had to be saved. And you said, no, no God, no God, no God, no God, no God. See, if you say to God your entire life, I want nothing to do with you, don't be surprised that when you die, you will have nothing to do with him. Amen? If you reject him, reject him, reject him, want nothing to do with him, want, want him as far away from you as possible, that's how you'll spend eternity. We're going to spend eternity with the one that we spent our time with here, either the world or the Lord. Amen? Who are you going to spend eternity with? Amen. During the great tribulation, the time of judgment is the Antichrist who will speak the loudest in Revelation 13. And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. The Antichrist will be crushed and cast into hell. Boastful human dictator will be silenced and judged by the Lord. He is going to be the most arrogant man ever. And again, we see though, the Bible talks about people having the spirit of Antichrist. And again, anti doesn't mean the opposite of as much as it means in place of. So there's somebody being put in the place of Christ in your life, being given the priority and the position that he does not deserve. And we're going to see that because of that, again, he's going to be crushed. He's going to be arrogant. And when we hear people being arrogant and mocking Almighty God, that is the spirit of Antichrist. Amen? You have to have a hard heart to, to mock God, to curse his name. You saw this pastor recently that was shot while he was standing on a corner sharing the gospel. And guys, I don't think there'll be less and less than that. There'll be more and more of it. Verse, six, verse 12, as the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. During the great tribulation, there will be those who will survive into the millennial kingdom, and they'll have an opportunity to repent during that time if they haven't taken the mark of the beast. But that the Antichrist is going to be taken at the, right when it ends, before the millennial kingdom reigns, and he's going to be thrown into the fiery flame along with the false prophet. There's going to be a false prophet who's going to unite all the world's religions, and more than likely it's going to be a religious man, and many people believe it's going to be the Pope. 
because he's already uniting with Muslims and all these people, right? And, just, and whoever it is, it doesn't have to be him, whoever it is, they're going to get all world religions to come together. And people will say to me, like, as a pastor, don't you want to unite with other religions? No. Do I want to put poison in my. No. Amen. Do we want to admit? Do we want to, you just want to convert them. You betcha. When we moved into the, to the synagogue, Rabbi Ron said, Ron, he said, well, you're just going to try to convert us all. I said, absolutely, bro. 100%. You've got scales on your eyes. I pray they come off and you recognize your Messiah and give me anything in the Bible and I'll show you Jesus. And the guy said, Passover and thank you, Jesus. Can I get amen to that? So, the, so guys, we want to love people enough. Don't be self-righteous. Well, I have it right and you're wrong. No, I'm one beggar leading another beggar to bread. I was once lost and now I've been found and I don't get any praise or glory for that. It's all because of the grace of God. To him alone be all the praise and the glory and the honor. Don't be, do not ruin the name of Christ in your own arrogance. Amen? Point number four. Jesus is coming back. I was watching night visions and behold, one like the Son of Man... That's the name, the term that is used about Jesus more than any other, the Son of Man. You know what? There's names of Christ. He's the Son of God that speaks of his deity. He's the Son of David that speaks of his royalty. He's the Son of Man that speaks of his humanity. See, he's Almighty God. He's 100% God, but he also took on 100% humanity. Coming with the clouds of heaven, he came to the Ancient of Days, that's the Father, and they brought him near and before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and the kingdom to all nation, peoples, nations, and languages shall serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed. Thank you, Jesus. Amen? He's coming back. He's going to rule and reign. No one will ever rule in his place ever again. He will always be on the throne. No, no more politics. Thank you, Jesus. Amen? Our hope is not in the White House. It's in the throne of grace. Vote biblically, but trust in God. Amen? Revelation tells us that when Jesus returns, it says all the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him. So when he comes back, we're coming with him. Guys, this prophecy is given 500 years before Jesus was born. And it's talking about the Son of Man and the Ancient of Days, and he's coming back. He hasn't even come the first time yet. But they're talking about him coming back. The Bible rocks, amen? amen? The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord, and it's Christ who will reign forever and ever. That's Revelation 11 and 5. So Jesus, the Son of Man, the Son of David, the Son of God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the all-knowing, almighty, all-powerful, one and only, true and living God, all the world's kings and kingdoms will fall, including the Antichrist. And that final king before the King of kings slays him, casts him into the lake of fire. Jesus will have dominion, which is, means his sovereignty, he's in control, his glory, his honor and esteem. Guys, we honor only, we revere only God. Amen. I, I told you guys this. I get things that say reverend. Reverend Dave, I'm, that's someone I know never met me. We reverence only God, amen? We don't revere men, we revere God. Point number five, worldly kingdoms and kings will rise and fall. Then it happened when I, Daniel, had seen the vision and was seeking the meaning that suddenly there stood by me one having the appearance of a man. 
And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Uli and called and said, Gabriel, make this man understand. So Gabriel's going to show. Now, if you get interpretation from Gabriel, that's pretty good. Amen? Gabriel is, there's only two, three angels named in the Bible. And one of them's not Moroni. Can I get an amen to that? The Mormons say Moroni came and gave him the Book of Mormon, the Italian angel that's not in the Bible. But here's the thing. Gabriel, Michael, and who's the other one? Lucifer, right? He becomes Satan. So Daniel, it says here in verse 15, that he was grieved in his spirit. Why was he grieved in his spirit? Because he said, I, Daniel, was grieved within my body, and the vision of my head troubled me, and I came near to the one who stood by and asked him the truth of all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the dream. So he's going to tell him what the dream means. So we don't have to guess. And by the way, when you want interpretation of Scripture, often here's the answer. Keep reading. Amen? Just keep reading. Notice what it says here. So four kingdoms, it says in verse, these great beasts, which are these four kings, which arise out of the earth, but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. So these kingdoms are going to rise, and the divine interpretation of Daniel's dream shows that it covers the same material as Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and Daniel's dream differs as he sees kingdoms from God's perspective, not man's. Nebuchadnezzar saw these future kingdoms from a position of nobility and as a statue of men, and Daniel sees them as these ferocious uh, people who are contrary to God. But notice it says, these four kings again will rise up, but the saints of the Most High will receive the kingdom. See, when it's all done, God wins, and we will rule and reign with him forever. Do you know the Bible says we will rule with him during the millennial kingdom? Some of us will have headship over, you know, people can be fighting over Hawaii, but every, we have headship over places where we will be serving the Lord by having headship over people, instructing people, ministering to people. And like every good and perfect gift, it all comes from above. We don't deserve it. It's given by God's grace. The Lord fights the fight, wins the battle, defeats the enemy, and then gives us the kingdom. That's our God. Amen? Now, He's going to be ruling over all. Amen? And we're going to be submitted fully to Him, and we're going to be on team Jesus. Look at verse 19 to 22. It says, Then I wish to know the truth of the fourth beast, which was different than all the others, exceedingly dreadful with its teeth of iron, its nails of bronze, which he devoured, broken pieces and trampled the residue with its feet. Again, talking about the Antichrist just wiping out everything in its path. And the ten horns that were on its head and the other horn which came up from before those who fell, that that horn which was eyes and a mouth would speak pompous words whose appearance was greater than his fellows. He's a good-looking guy. He's charismatic. Again, he's powerful. Verse 22, I was watching, and the same horn was making war against the saints. Now, in the tribulation, this is where some people who believe in like mid-trib or post-trib, which means that we'll be here for the first three and a half years of the, of the um, tribulation, and there are people that love Jesus that believe that and will agree to disagree. Amen? I don't think that's the case because of Revelation 4, we're called up and a lot of other reasons. But are there going to be saints during the tribulation? What's the answer? People are going to get saved. And, and what I believe, I believe most of them, or many of them, a large number of them are going to be Jews. Because we know there's going to be 144,000 Jewish Billy Grahams running around telling people about Jesus. It's in the Bible. Amen? 
We know that the two witnesses, I believe Moses and Elijah, will be standing in the city square telling people about Jesus. And people will get saved, and most of them it will cost them their lives to do so. But we know that God will be at work. Now it says there, I was watching in the same horn making war. And then it says in verse 22, until the Ancient of Days came and a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High, the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. So the Antichrist will rule for a short period of time. And he will, I believe, come up with an answer that nobody else has to bring unity amongst all the nations. You know, let's just give you an example. Let's say there's famine in the whole world. After all the, all the Christians are gone, we're all been snatched away. I mean, look what happened with COVID. The whole world fell apart over a flu bug. Can you imagine if all the Christians just disappear? They're going to probably say it's aliens. I don't know what they're going to say. But we're all going to be gone, and God's blessing will not be upon the earth. And then it's going to be mayhem, and then some guy's going to come along, maybe everyone's starving. I'm just using this as an example, and figures out a way to feed everybody. And he's charismatic, and he's outgoing, and he's good looking. He's got all these things going for himself, and they're like, man, we're desperate. Let's just follow him. And by the way, you know what? Just take this mark and align with me, and then you can buy and sell stuff. And if you don't, we're going to kill you. And a lot of people will line up and take the mark of the beast. By the way, there's nothing that's going on in the world today that's a mark of the beast. It's not the flu shot, okay? Can I get an amen to that? So, it's exceedingly dreadful with its teeth of iron and nails of bronze, its fourth beast. Again, interested Daniel because it was so ominous. And he's trying to understand what this beast could be. We know in the near to him, it's going to be the uh, Roman Empire, but in the end, it is going to be the uh, Antichrist. I've got to finish up here. Look at verse 23. The Antichrist will speak arrogantly against Almighty God. Thus he said, the fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom of the earth, which shall be different from all the other kingdoms. They shall devour the whole earth. The Roman Empire uh, certainly did that as they ruled and reigned for a thousand years. They were the kings of the world. They trampled it, broke it into pieces. And then it says, now he says, that with these ten horns are ten kings who will arise from this kingdom and another shall rise after them. He shall be different from the first ones and shall subdue three kings. So here's what he's saying is that there's going to be 10 leaders of 10 empires or nations that will come out of this old Roman empire. One of them will rise up amongst them all as the one that everybody wants to follow. He's going to subdue three of these nations to follow him. And that person is the Antichrist. Verse 25, he shall speak pompous words. By the way, you don't ever want to be called pompous. Can I get an amen to that? Now that you've read this, pompous, 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 three times, all the Antichrist, don't be called pompous. Now it says here, against the Most High, he shall persecute the saints of the Most High. He shall intend to change times and law. Most people believe he's going to change the calendar. You want to talk about arrogant. He's going to say, yeah, we're not doing that anymore. We're going to get rid of Sundays because those are when all the religious feasts are. Let's just lose that day. He's going to literally try to change the times and seasons. He's going to think that he can rule the world. And then it says, then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time and times and a half. That's three and a half years. So during the Great Tribulation, there's a three and a half year period of time where there's peace. Three and a half years in, we know that the Antichrist will go into the temple, proclaim himself to be God. It's called the abomination of desolation. And that's when many of the Jews and many others' eyes will be open to the truth that he's not the Messiah. The Messiah has already come, and it's Jesus Christ. And again, final point, 
Sorry, we're moving through this fairly quickly. Last point, in the end, God wins. Look at verse 26. But the court shall be seated. See, he's, gonna, he's going to, for three and a half years, persecute the church or the saints that are saved during the tribulation. He's going to go after them. He's going to mock God. He's going to blaspheme God. He's going to think he's got the world by the tail, just like Satan did when Jesus went to the cross. But look how it finishes. But the court shall be seated, and they shall take away his dominion to consume and destroy him forever. Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatest of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people and the saints of the Most High. Who's that? It's the Most High is, is the Lord. And again, it will be given to those saints who are on the earth. And eventually, as we come back with them, it will be given to all of us. The kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Yeah, Rome ruled for a thousand years. Almighty God's going to rule forever. And ever and ever. Amen? And all the dimensions shall serve and obey him. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen? So the court is seated. Judgment is coming. And then he says there in verse 27, again at the end of it, and all dominion shall serve and obey him. This is the end of the account. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly troubled me. My countenance changed but I kept the matter in my heart. When he saw what was coming, it troubled him because he saw how vicious the Antichrist was going to be. He saw these, these nations that were going to just be wiping people out and how godless they were going to be. But at the end of it, he gets to see that before it's over, God wins. You know, in Luke, God's, God's kingdom will be established. He will rule forever. So what should we be doing? In, in Luke 19, it says, Occupy until I come. And then he says in Matthew, therefore, keep watch because you know not the day or the hour. You know what, guys? While we're waiting for the Lord to come back, we need to be, wor we need to be working and watching. Amen? We need to live every day in light of the fact that Jesus could come back tomorrow. If you knew that Jesus was going to come back tomorrow, would it change your plans for today? Would you do some things a little different? Would you make sure that everybody you know has heard about Jesus? He could come back tomorrow. Let's be faithful and busy about his work. Can I get an Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. I know we covered a lot of ground, but Lord, we'll get more details in coming chapters. And I pray, Lord, that we would have understanding that kingdoms come and go, and those kings will all fall down, and all their arrogance and pride will pass away. But Lord, you're the King of kings, the Lord of lords. You're going to rule and reign. And even in the chaos, you're in control. No matter what's going on in the world around us, we need not fear. Because, Lord, we know that you are faithful and you're watching over us. And they can't threaten us with heaven. So, Lord, help us, Lord, to not be afraid. Thankful, Lord, that no one will escape the righteous judgment of God. Lord, you will bring righteous judgment. We want to see people redeemed and forgiven. And, Lord, we're not, we're not good because of who we are. We're good because of who you are. You're the one that made us and poured out your grace upon us. Lord, if, I just pray if there's anybody here this morning that doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation, and no one would leave here without you. If you're here this morning, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. The Bible says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. I'm not asking you to join a church. That's not what it's about. But if you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, first to confess, yes, I'm a sinner, and, and I need to be forgiven. And once you know, we all know we're sinners. So if you've never surrendered your life to him, if you confess him openly, Lord, I want you to come be the Lord of my life. Not just to give me the get out of hell free card, but to come and rule and reign. 
on the throne of my life, to surrender my life to you, to have my name written in the Lamb's book of life, to have the Holy Spirit to both comfort me and convict me and help me to live the life you've called me to live. If that's your desire and you've never done that before, I want to pray with you right now, but you need to confess it openly. So if that's anybody here, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ and you're ready to surrender your life to him, I want you to just raise your hand right where you are. Anybody at all. Don't leave here without him. Don't want this being played back on eternal judgment day. This is an opportunity that you missed. The Lord loves you. He'd rather die than live without you. He proved on the cross. Amen? Lord, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. You are a great and awesome God. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. We look forward to that trumpet sounding and us being in your presence forevermore. We ask all these things in your holy and your precious name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's work.